Uh, again, if you're visiting this morning, I want to welcome you. Um, we're in the second week of a what started out uh, to be a 10-part series on the fruit of the Spirit. And someone asked them this morning, uh, well, so it's going to be 10 weeks, so this is week two. It's, so there's, and I said, it might be 11. <laughs> I keep looking more deeply into this. So we started last week. Our series title is called Locally Grown, the Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, our, our, we based it on Galatians 5, 2, 22, and 23, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Um, what we wanted to look at was the, the, the nine character traits of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I confessed uh, last week to our church body, and they've still allowed me to remain as their lead pastor, uh, that uh, I've preached through Galatians before. <clears throat> and you get to this passage, and you, you teach it on one given Sunday, and then boom, on you go. And I just, you know, I, I'm... In a lot of, you know, traditional Christian churches, you know, the Father, the Son, they get the most attention, and the Holy Spirit, well, he's that other guy, you know, unless you're part of a denomination where he's the main guy, right? And so, anyway, we, we, we've been looking at that, and I'm reading about it, and I'm studying it, and I began to realize something uh, as I was praying about what's, what to go to next a few weeks ago, and months ago, actually, uh, and um, the Lord just put it on my heart that where we're at as a church we need to go look at these verses a little bit more closely and the fruit of the Spirit. And so I, I realized that I, I've, I've had some clues over the years of what this was all about, really. I mean, come on, I've had some clues, maybe if more than a few clues, but here's the truth. You know, having clues doesn't necessarily mean that you've solved the mystery, right? Everything about the Word of God, and those of you who are regularly part of the Rock, you'll know this. Some of you are visiting here this morning. You'll hopefully pick up on it. I really like the Word of God. <laughs> It just really, I just, I, I can't get over, honestly, how amazing and deep it is. We're going to dive deep into some things about the Bible today, which I hope will encourage you. So let's put on screen our two main verses for this series. Then I'm going to read our text for today, which is in John chapter 15. If you have a Bible, open it to there. But Galatians 5, 23, our primary text says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, oh, and yes, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So now, as I suggested last week in part one of our introduction, there's another really big key that we've got to get. I need to get, you, I hope, will see today, you need to get and have established before we can look at those nine facets or character traits and really, really get what they're all about. And we're going to find that today in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. I'm going to read the passage. It won't be on screen for you. We'll come back to some of the verses. It's a long passage. So read with me if you have a Bible or your phones uh, and an app or whatever. I'm going to read verses 1 to 17 and then pray one more time. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, most likely to the 12 in the last week of his earthly life. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Yeah, so gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are triune, and we thank you that you are one. You are perfectly unified in everything that you do and say and promise. And so, Lord, I just, I just thank you for this text today, Lord Jesus, that you, you spoke to your disciples, that you're speaking to us today, and Holy Spirit, the one who produces the fruit in us, we ask you today to oh, speak to our hearts, illuminate our minds, help me to communicate what you've given me to say today. Really help me, I pray. But also help us to hear not the preacher, but you. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So if this is a sermon title, I don't always have them, but if it is, it's this for today. The, the vine is about two things. It's about growth and about change. And there's also four players in this story. There's four players. There's first the vine. There's the vine dresser. There's the branches, and there's the fruit. So over the years uh, of going through books of the Bible here at the Rock Church, myself uh, preaching through with you, going through them, studying them together, we've learned a lot of marvelous truths about who God is and what he's done. Amen? A lot of truth about who he is and what he's done. And it's incredible. We've learned that the Bible is a collection of 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years, by 40-plus authors. We're not sure of a couple of the books, that's why. Now, for the skeptic, they go, well, there you go. The unbelieving skeptic will say, you see, that's, that's the reason why you know, the Bible really can't be taken too seriously. It's a little inconsistent. Things don't, that are said here don't seem to make sense over there. I mean, that, that's the way they would say it. And, and I think there are some Christians who sometimes go, oh, is that true? It's not. The reality is this, if you read it from cover to cover, over 
and over again. Hello, Life Journal. Amen? If you read it over and over, cover to cover, something else begins to emerge. It just does. A very consistent and amazing story that could not possibly be made up. C.S. Lewis said that you know, when he was an atheist, when he was you know, a writer of mystical novels and, and great stories and stuff like that, and he started looking at the Gospels, at the Old Testament, at the Bible as a whole, and as a person who knew fiction and literature, he said, hold on. This, this is not written by a human mind. There's something more there. So the reason why the 66 books are in our Bible is because there are very consistent linkages throughout that when you begin to put them all together, they point to a single author, a single creator. They just do. One of the most interesting and significant threads that I find, and I think it, well, I know it speaks to what we're looking at in this series is this. There's threads from the beginning of Genesis 1 to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, the last chapter. There's threads throughout it that show us the creation and how the creation and nature and us are all part of the gospel of salvation. It's an unbelievable thread. I'm going to twist some of your minds this morning by going back and looking at some of these things, but bear with me because I want to show you that those things are actually there. And so what we see from the very beginning in Genesis 1 is we learn, of course, you all know the opening of the Bible, this won't be on screen, but Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, that's just settled. God created it. However he did it, however you want to debate that, that's he created the heavens and the earth. And then for the next 25 verses, it's basically after, I mean, after he separates, you know, the waters and, and all of a sudden the dry land appears, for the next 25 verses, it's all about Creator God, Elohim, which is a plural in the Hebrew, filling the earth. It's all about him filling the earth. His good creation with what? With nature. With his nature. And so we read in Genesis 1.11, which will be on screen, and God said, he spoke this into existence, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit. 11 verses into the Bible, we've got fruit trees, which have a purpose, which is to bear fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. So this continues with living animals in the waters and livestock and creeping things all over the planet, right? Creeping things that creep most of us out, some of us out anyway. Saw some creeping things when we were in Hawaii. That's a side note there. But finally, God creates man, you and I, male and female, and he commands them, look at this, in verse 28, in the first half of verse 28, to what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he says, in the very next verse, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So Adam and Eve did what? Nothing. <laughs> he says, here you go. Everything you need. But there, there's trees that have fruit that are supplied water by me and sunshine by me. Photosynthesis, you all t- studied that in high school, right? 
I did all that. It's not bragging, but he did. So in Genesis 1, we discover that the plan of God is that his creation will be what? Fruitful. That's why he made everything. That's actually his nature, to be fruitful. So we see fruit trees bearing fruit, and that fruit is to be food for you and I. That's a little vegetarian-like. I'm a meditarian, but it's a little, but it's good anyway, isn't it? And that's really all Adam and Eve would have needed and did need early on was that kind of food. Then we get to Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. I love this. And it says, the Lord God planted a garden. Pause there for one sec. He's a gardener. My wife would say he's a permaculture gardener. Actually, he is. He's a gardener. He planted this garden. In Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he informed, and out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for the fruit. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, this is starting to get complicated, right? So far we have seen fruit-bearing trees, and now two trees, one that's got very good fruit on it, and one that's got rotten fruit on it bad fruit. It's just black and white. It's pretty simple. It's a beautiful thing about God's word. And we later learn that God commands the man not to eat of that one tree or he will surely die. There is a fruit that will kill us. And it did with Adam and Eve. The next verse, however, is very key. In verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Okay, so God plants the garden. The, the, it, right away, it's got phenomenal fruit, right? Everything that they need to eat, and oh, by the way, I'll water it for you. Remember the, in Genesis 1, two, it, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters throughout the whole, throughout the Scripture, the, there's a relationship between the Spirit and water and river. Right in Genesis, this thread has begun. It's quite incredible. So this imagery that began in Genesis flows throughout the whole Bible, I suggest to you. Trees, fruit, water, and us. (laughs) We're part of creation, and it's all together. So from the beginning, the idea and plan was that we, those who are fed and nourished by the fruit and the water that nourishes the trees, that we would go forth and multiply and bear much fruit. And so that's the start, but that's the plan. And that's what we're going to see in the story of the vine today. There's only one purpose for the branches. It's not say, hey, look at my beautiful leaves. No, it's to bear much fruit. So there are numerous examples of other scriptures about the relationship between water, trees, and fruit, but there's one in Ezekiel that I want to point you to this morning before we get back to our text for today. This is remarkable. It's found in Ezekiel 47. It's, a, it's, it's the conclusion to a point where Ezekiel has been in the temple and he sees a trickle of water flowing out of the temple and he starts to follow it. And it's coming from the sanctuary of God, from the temple, and he starts to follow it. And all of a sudden it becomes a little bit of a, a, little bit of a creek. Right? And then all of a sudden the creek starts to expand. And then all of a sudden, you know, like it's ankle deep, it's knee deep, and then it's, he's in over his head. 
In Ezekiel 47, 12, it says this. This is a prophetic word from Ezekiel. He says, and on the banks, at the point where it's over his head, on both sides of the river, there will, prophetically speaking, grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. Why? Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, from the Spirit of God. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. So now you're wondering why. Okay, what has this all got to do with John 15? Okay, let's have a look. First verse of John 15 is this, Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So the first thing we must note here is that Jesus is introducing a special kind of fruit-bearing tree, which is called a vine. Now, some of you viticulturists, I can get that word out, or gardeners may go, hold on, hold on. I'm not sure a vine is a tree. And some of you might be right, because you'd be going, because like, you know, as the vine starts to grow and it comes up to a certain point, and then, you know, what, what grows on the end of a vine starts to bear weight, the trunk of the vine isn't strong enough to actually hold it, so it, it falls down on the ground, and, and so there's that. It's not really a tree. Okay, you might be right. That's why we might have to take 11 messages in this series, because we're going to come back to that in the last message. It's a really important point, so you're going to want to stick around for that to happen. And so it is, look, we know this, it's a fruit-bearing plant, and Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. So, so what, in fact, is he getting at? Well, I'll come to that. But also, what exactly does the fruit of the vine look like? Remember this last week, I suggested to you, like some people, like you see graphics, like in, in Bible studies or whatever it might be about, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. And you see this big, huge honking tree, and it's got apples on it, oranges, you know, love, joy, peace. It's got pears on it. It's even got watermelons on it. It's got nine different kinds of fruit, which there's no tree in the world that has that kind of fruit, right? And yet that's kind of the image that we all have, or we've been, we've been shown by preachers and by books that that's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. I actually want to suggest to you it looks like this. It looks like this. That's what it looks like. Is that not the fruit of the vine? That's the fruit of the vine. So hold on to that, that image, because we're going to come back to it. So what exactly is Jesus getting at? Well, again, the image of vines and a vineyard, again, for you Bible study students, you all know this, uh, are also prevalent in the Old Testament and were a symbol for the people of Israel. God's vineyard is his kingdom, and, and, and he has his residence, has people who are part of his kingdom, and there are vines. And it was a picture of the people of Israel, God's covenant people, the vine's purpose for existing always was to bear fruit for its owner. The people of Israel were to bear fruit for their owner, Yahweh, God. However, almost every reference in the Old Testament to Israel as God's vine regularly stressed Israel's failure to produce fruit, right? Let's not put that all on them. We can do that too, right? We most certainly can. And so it's an interesting picture. In contrast to Israel's failure, Jesus claims to be the true vine. That's why he says true vine in these verses. 
bringing forth the fruit that Israel failed to produce. Therefore, Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, fulfills Israel's destiny as the true vine of God. I have to believe on the day that he preached this to most of his disciples who were Jewish and to anyone else who was hearing, they would be like, would they not get that reference? Of course they would. Some loved it because he was claiming to be the Messiah. Others hated it. And in a couple of days, they put him to death. He's the true vine. So we learn here who the first two players are, right? Jesus is the vine, and who is the vine dresser? Your heavenly father. His father is the vine dresser. So we're going to bounce around a little bit here in the passage. Some of you are going to be going, okay, good. Glenn's not going to go through this verse by verse, 17 verses. We'll be able to eat before one o'clock. Let's hope so. I think the next thing we need to look at is who the branches are. Most of you probably have already figured that out, but let's have a look at that. In verse 5, Jesus goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So since he's speaking to his 12 apostles, the original disciples and followers of his, Others may have been present, but certainly the 12 apostles are there in this passage. We know that, yes, we, you and I who are in Christ, who placed our faith and trust in Christ, are in fact the branches. We are the believers. We are his disciples. So Jesus tells us that as branches on his vine, it's about us abiding in him that we will therefore bear much fruit. However, if we do not abide him, remain connected to that vine, we will not. Is that not the struggle in the Christian life? That's what he's getting at, is this abiding aspect. So here's the question, big question. How do we as the branches, Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ, how do we become part of the vine? Like all of a sudden the vine's growing up, it's Jesus, you know, he's the vine, and all of a sudden little shoots come out, and there's Glenn, and there's Mary. And John. Is that how it happens? Not a chance. That's not how it happens. And again, you viticulturists will know this. Those who grow and tend vines will tell you that there's a process, and that process is called grafting in. Right? A branch that is not doing well on another vine, this is what viticulturists will do. Gardeners in vineyards up in the Okanagan, I love those people, especially the people who grow Merlot. I love them. Really fantastic people. Um, but what they'll do is if a vine is not doing too well, that, but there's some branches on it that are looking good, they'll cut it off that and bring it to a vine that is doing well and graft it into that vine. Why? Because that, that will now grow that vine into a healthy vine. And it'll bear what? Lots of grapes. Lots of grapes. It's an amazing picture. And so because, listen, in fact, sometimes the vine is dying. That's why they will take those cuttings off of it, and that's how the branches become part of the vine, who is Jesus also, by the way. We are grafted into him, and that work is done by whom? The producer of the fruit. That work is done by the Holy Spirit of God. The context of John 15 is amazing. This three, three of my favorite chapters, actually, in John are 14, 15, and 16. They're all about Jesus at that point telling his disciples, okay, You've been abiding with me in the flesh. Here I am, I'm with you. And I've been teaching you everything that the Father has taught me. But I'm going to leave you. I mean, first of all, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be dead and buried for three days. I'll rise again, but then I'm still going to leave you. And they're like, what? 
has this got to do with the Messiah? How's that going to work out? And they're frightened. They're actually a little scared. But that's what he tells them. But he also tells them, it's good for you. Because then I'm going to send, the Father and I are going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to bring into remembrance for you everything that I have taught you and has been said, and he will live in you. And so at that point, listen, at the point, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, and I hope and pray that all of you are, at the point that you placed your faith and trust in Christ for your salvation, it was the Holy Spirit who, just before that point, began the process of regenerating your heart. Literally regenerating your soul, giving you life, breathing life into your nostrils and giving you this new life. And then listen, listen, what he did at that point is a very interesting picture. Because at that point, you know where your branch was attached to or what tree it was attached to? The bad fruit tree. The, The tree of Adam. And the Holy Spirit cuts us off from the tree of Adam and then grafts us into the vine that is Jesus. Oh, wow. So that's what the Holy Spirit did. But listen, you, you know this. It cost Jesus, didn't it? Again, the gardener will know this. If you're going to graft an, a branch which has been cut off, by when, when that branch is cut off, it, well, if it's still got any life in it whatsoever, it's bleeding a little bit. But when you cut into the vine, the vine bleeds. And you put the two together. And if you belong to the vine, the vine will hold on. And you will begin to grow. And so that's the process. Then the branch is grafted in. So it's a profound picture, isn't it? But listen, God, God created, planned this picture back in the garden. Thousands of years before you and I got grafted in. That's incredible planning. So this is part of the growth of the story, isn't it? This is part of the growth in the story. That's part one of the growth, though. There's a second part, and this is fun, Christian, right? This is the fun part of the growth. And so let's have a look at that. Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does does bear fruit, he prunes. Amen. I love pruning. Hold on. Why? Well, that it may bear more fruit. So this is the work of the Father, and it's twofold, obviously. In the first case, and listen, it's not referring to those who are in Christ that they will lose their salvation. Some would read that and go, oh, is that what that's saying? It's not what it's saying. But it's really those who were never really saved. There's a parable called the parable of the soils. You know the soils? The hard path, the rocky ground, the thorny... This parable is sad. It's really about the three types of soil that represent three types of people who attempt to attach themselves to the vine. But I think what we've already learned is you can't do that. And eventually what will happen is they'll fall away. They will fall away. And the picture here is that the father is the one who actually cuts them off. And so it's tragic for that person. Of course it is. However, it also contributes to the growth and health of the vine itself. That's also a very important picture for us to see. Well, then there's the pruning. And this is the part that, again, as I alluded to, every Christian absolutely loves, probably not. And so Jesus, here's, here's the thing. The question I have for you, Jesus, is so what you're, what you're saying is, I am actually bearing fruit. You know, Glenn's bearing a little bit of fruit. And you're still going to prune me? You're still going to cut me? 
Yes. Yes, he is. And of course, the question at that point has to be, well, why would he do that? Because listen, pruning hurts. Every little cut hurts. It hurts me. And, and, and I don't know really what to do with it. And the bottom line is, is because he loves me. Because he loves you. And, and he wants you to remain abiding, connected to the vine who is his son. And he wants you to mature in your fruit. He wants your fruit to ripen. And it's a necessary process. It's just got to happen. And so the reality is very clear. If we are not abiding in the vine for extended periods of time, well, our branches may, in fact, die and be good for nothing but kindling. But the also uh, other aspect is true, and I've said this before, I word it this way. The enemy of your soul, the devil, his basic goal is he wants you to die without Christ. He wants everyone on this planet to, to die without salvation in Christ. If he can't get that, he'll, he'll, he'll be satisfied by option two. And that is, you be a Christian, be, but be functionally dead in your Christian life walk. That, that your fruit would not ripen. Why? Well, you will not enjoy your Christian life very much. And secondly, your fruit won't do any good in the world. Your fruit won't do any good. And so what does that abiding, which we've been talking about, actually look at me? I mean, it, there's, there's two significant, I should pause and say there are two very significant phrases that if you heard me reading the text and you've read it before, there's two, abiding in me, that's repeated and repeated, and also bearing much fruit. Like those seem to be Jesus' big idea and theme in that. And so the relationship Jesus desires is that branches will remain in the vine and abide in him. And the reason for that is so that we will grow. So what does the abiding actually look like? He tells us in verses 3 and 4, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So speaking to his disciples, he's saying, again, they're Jewish, right? So there was clean and unclean, and, and now that, why are they clean? Because of the word of God, because of him. He's the one who cleansed them. They didn't do anything. They didn't show up and go, hey, Jesus, look at us, we're clean. No, he cleaned them. The word of God cleaned them and does the same for us. He's saying, you've been made clean, not by your efforts, but because of me, because I am the word of God and because of my word. So, so they're, they're saved, and we learned this last week, they're saved, they're justified from the penalty of sin, and now there's this life to live where we're to bear much fruit, and so they're saved by hearing the cross, the gospel proclaimed, and now he says, if you continue now in your Christian life to abide in me, day in, day out, week in, week out, constantly abide in me and I in you, you will, as a promise, be made more fruitful. I will do that. The Holy Spirit, the fruit producer, will do that. In other words, you will be sanctified. And that brings us to change. We've seen a lot about growth. It's about the growth of the vine. It's about the growth of the kingdom of God, which is that, that is a picture of. And now it's about the change that takes place again in us. So once again, we have no power in and of ourselves to save ourselves, do we? Amen? This is not a works-based religion. We can't get there based on our good performance. Amen? Thank you, Lord. I know I failed. I know I would continue to fail. So we can't do that. Well, the same is true with the perfecting, as we saw in Galatians last week, 
or the sanctifying and therefore making ourselves more fruitful. We can't do that. I want to be more loving. I want to be more joyful. I want to be a man of peace, <laughs> kindness, gentleness, self-control. I can't do it on my own. That's a very important recognition. It's exclusively the Holy Spirit's work. He's in you. He's in me. He's available. Tap in is what he's saying. So we're grafted into Christ, the vine. We abide tightly, clinging, holding to him closely. Our Heavenly Father comes and prunes us. Yes, he sends us trials and challenges into our lives that we must endure for the purpose. Uh, but the purpose is, of course, his love to lovingly grow us and then to place us, put us in a place where the Holy Spirit, we're in a place where we're like, okay, I've just been pruned. Okay, I've gone through this. Okay. Oh. Okay, Holy Spirit. I see what you've been doing. It's light bulbs come on. That's the process that he wants us to see. He wants us to be connected to the Holy Spirit who will provide us the sustenance that flows from the root of the vine all the way to the branches. And then we see our fruit ripen as we're being perfected. It's a beautiful picture. A really beautiful picture. We are changed from unloving, critical, and barely empathetic people. None of you, just speaking about myself, into loving. Joyful despite the circumstances. Peaceful, kind people who love others very deeply. How deeply? Well, Jesus said, and he did it himself, my favorite verses. He said in verses 12 and 13, this is my commandment, my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Before we look at that picture more deeply, let me show you another picture that I think expresses where you and I are at right now in our life as fruit bearers whose fruit is slowly ripening. This is a picture of what would happen about midway through the growing season in the Okanagan. Now, isn't that interesting? You see, some of those, by the way, that's considered one fruit, and, but that's why they're called bunches, right? It's one fruit, but it's called a bunch on the vine. But you notice that some of them are, have not ripened yet. The one, the, the love one, right in the middle of there, the deep blue, that's ripened, right? But some of the others haven't. And so I, I, wanna, I want you to just keep that in your mind as you think about that this week, that it's not a, a tree full of watermelons and oranges and apples and all those kinds. It's more like this picture. And that's what God is trying to get us to see. And the idea is a little pruning, more nutrients, water and sun, will at harvest time have ripened. And that's the Christian life. So finally, in conclusion for this morning, let's, let's, let's just quickly look at some of the benefits of being healthy, growing branches who bear much fruit. The first is seen in verse 8. It says this, By this, or because of this, my Father is glorified. What did Jesus do throughout his whole life? What was his whole purpose? To glorify the Father and to do his will. That's what he wants for us. And for us to become fruitful means we're going to be glorifying God and that you therefore bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So we will, glor will glorify God the Father and prove we are his disciples. And my question for you there is, to whom? 
do we need to prove to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit and God the Father, that we are his disciples? As we're going to see in a few minutes, no, 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 no. He chose you. He chose us. We did not choose him. Who, who are we proving this to? Well, again, it's the whole point of the story. The whole point of the story is, is that we, when we ripen our fruit, it's being seen by whom? By the world. And that's how they will know we are his disciples, is by our ripe fruit. People who love and are joyful, who bring peace into circumstances. And so next, Jesus speaks about the abiding love of the Father that we will know, experience, and possess more deeply by abiding in him and the Father. Then he tells us we will have, listen, we will have not just experience, we will possess his joy. I love the verse, you know it. For the joy that was set before him, he what? He endured the cross. There's a joy that he possesses that no circumstance, the worst pruning, the worst cutting, the greatest trials will ever take from you that joy and from me. I want that joy. And he wants us to have it. So there's more. As we abide in him, we move from the position of servant to dear friends. Again, I look at that. And I, I mean, I, the easy believe is some idea. Jesus just wants to be your friend. Well, actually, he needs to be your savior first. But yeah, the relationship changes. We know that we are servants of King Jesus, right? That's one of our identities as the Rock Church. We're servants of our king. Of course we are. But in the relationship as abiding with him in the vine and in the daily life, we're his friend. More importantly, he's ours. He's a true friend because he's the true vine. You might have mere acquaintances, good friends. How many of you have true friends? I mean, friends that you, you, you could hurt, you could do something too that they would be really angry with you about, and they may not want to even talk to you for five or ten years, but then you have true friends who at the end of the day will do what? They'll forgive you because <laughs> you were a twit. They'll forgive you. Those are true friends. That's Jesus. Finally, Jesus says in verses 16 and 17, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So sometimes I feel like we struggle with this whole bearing fruit thing because there's also the go and make disciples bit, right? So what, what is it? Is it? Is bearing fruit going and making disciples who make disciples or it is... Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Do you want to know what the answer is? <laughs> I think it is. It's both and. It's a both and, but there's an order to it that we have to understand, Christian. In order to make disciples or participate in the, the process of seeing someone become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to have more ripened fruit. Amen? That's the point here starts in your own heart, in my own heart, and it's got to go there. Wonderful apologetics, awesome. I love apologetics. You don't argue or apologetic, apologetic someone into the kingdom. No, what do you do? You speak the truth in love. You exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and people are like, who are you? Well, I'm 
a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not like this because of my will and ability. He's made me like this. That's a beautiful picture, I would suggest. And that's the first character trait, of course. What we see here is, speaking the truth in love, it's the first character trait of the Spirit um, that we're going to look at in depth next week. One subject next week, love. That'll be fun, right? So here's an application I want to leave you with this morning before I pray, and it would be this. Can I suggest that you memorize Galatians 5.22? It's not very long, right? Memorize it. I'll suggest something even better. Visualizing is great. Why don't you print it out on something maybe about this big, and, and well, maybe this big, and, and put it but large enough so you can see love, joy, peace, right? And, and maybe put it on your dashboard of your car. Or, or, or maybe on, you know, like, you know, beside, you know, like, in, not in the inside of your Bible, on the front of your Bible. You all have Bibles at home that are on your desk, right? They're not collecting dust, are they? Put it somewhere that you're going to see it all the time. And then do this. Do this. I'm going to try. I've been trying all week. Every time you're approaching a situation where all of a sudden you're feeling like, man, this is going to be tough, this is whatever, you know, and I, I need to be loving here and I need, but I don't feel like being loving and, and whatever, just... Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, would you ripen this specific fruit in me right now? It would be a very healthy exercise. Amen? Amen. Pray with me, would you? Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for, yeah, just who you are, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are our God. You are amazing. You are wonderful. Your plan Uh, before the foundation of this world, to create what you created and why, is uh, it's not beyond our comprehension. Not with the Holy Spirit, it's not. But it's so deep and wide and vast. And so, Lord, I just pray for every one of us here today, every single one of us, Lord, that you would continue to do the work in our minds, in our emotions, in our hearts, uh, so that we we may know you more deeply. We may, we, may be, we may realize, based on one, Psalm 139, how, how you really do know us, everything about us. And then, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray, give us the strength, give us the encouragement to recognize when we are abiding and abiding tightly and when we are not abiding. And so I just pray that you would, you would Lord Jesus, hold tight to us and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would flow through the vine and through the branches, through us, and you would ripen this fruit in us. And I pray that every one of us, myself, first of all, that you would ripen our fruit so that we can be proving to be your disciples, Lord Jesus, to lost and dying people, to people we love, people we want to reach. And so we pray that that would be our witness and our testimony. That's what you have done and want us to do. So I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen.